everybody. Good morning. How y'all doing? Fantastic. Our last week at At The Movies, we're looking at Toy Story 3 today. How many of y'all saw this pic? Loved it. Really, really good movie. Um, before we dive in, I want to tell you of a couple of things. Um, first, to, after our second service today, we're all going to go over to the movie theater and we're going to watch Cars 2 together. So make sure if you want to do that with us, uh, we'd love uh, to be able to have you do that. What we're going to do is we're going to tear everything down and then all of our families, we're going to find a place to eat around here and we're going to eat and then we're going to go over there. They're showing movies like every 30 minutes over there. So um, we're looking at going anywhere between the probably the 1 o'clock, one thirty showing. So uh, if that's something that you would like to do, we'd love to have you. Also, last week... We started our three-month tithing challenge, and uh, we didn't actually get a chance to talk about that last week, so I want to just mention briefly. If you, uh, we know that like giving 10% is like a huge thing. It's a big deal. For the longest time, it's something that my wife and I struggle with for years. So one of the things is we've talked about it at one church. We're going to do a three-month tithing challenge in which if you go to our website and you sign up uh, and you're willing to do the whole three-month tithing challenge, we're giving you a money-back guarantee, if you will. We believe that Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 is true. And it says, put God to the test, uh, that if you give... You can't outgive God. So what we're going to ask you guys to do, if, if you're willing to do this, and again, if you're a first-time guest, we don't expect, we don't want your money at all, okay? But if you're, if one church is your regular church home, uh, you can go on, you can sign up for that, and then you can sign up for e-give. And then after those three months, if you don't see that God uh, has done some amazing things in your life and that you've not missed that money, uh, then we're going to give you that money back to you. And uh, we're pretty confident because we believe in God's word. What it says is true when it says put him to the test. So I'd encourage you to do that. So, all right, Toy Story, Toy Story 3. I got to be honest with you, when this movie first came out and I heard about it, I'm thinking, great, a third sequel. This is probably going to be an awful movie. But here's the thing I've come to realize about Pixar. Pixar makes amazing movies. And you know what makes the, the movies great about Pixar? The story. The story of this really tugs to a lot of our... I remember, this is no lie, this is telling you, I, I remember buying the, com, the Toy Story 3 comic book for my kids. I'm sitting down reading it to them before they go to bed tonight, and I am crying, reading a comic book. I kid you not. I'm thinking, man, I need some hormones or something. Oh, my gosh. But I, it was just, it was a great, it wasn't that funny, Kevin Palmer. I mean, it's just, I love the story. Now, here's what's amazing. It, it took them $200 million to make this movie. $200 million to make Toy Story 3. And just from the opening weekend alone, it netted $110 million. So, now, this is what's amazing. Worldwide, in the theaters, it grossed $635 million, which means they got over a 300% return on their money, which is really, really cool. All right. So, but the reason why I like this movie isn't because of Woody or Buzz, and I mean, all the characters are great, is because it, it really asks some really deep questions. Who do we belong to? Are we special? Are we going to continue to be valuable uh, even when we get older? Will, uh, am I wanted? Am I secure? Uh, am I loved? Is the person who loves me the most, are they going to stick it out with me? Those are some of those deep questions that this movie, Toy Story 3, deals with. All right? Now, let me give you the whole premise before we watch the first clip. 
Andy, as you saw, is grown up. He's going to college. And he has this dilemma on his hands. He has these old toys. What is he going to do with them? The toys that meant a lot to him all growing up. I mean, is he going to take them with him to college? Probably not. So there's really two options. The, the first option is he puts them uh, up in the attic and uh, he'll save them. Or they're going to go to a landfill, to a dump. He's going to throw them out. And uh, throughout this, the entire first part of the movie, these toys are struggling. What's going to happen to us? Are we going to be thrown out like trash? Or are we going to go up in the attic? But either way, it's kind of a lose-lose because these toys were... What, what are toys made for? To be played with. That's exactly right. And Andy is not playing with his toys. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation. Well, what happens is Andy makes the decision, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them in the attic. So he takes a trash bag and he puts all the toys in the attic and he pulls down the attic door and he's getting ready to go up and put them up in the attic and he gets distracted by something because we know how teenagers are, right? And then the, uh, his mom sees the trash bag out there and she assumes that it's not toys that are going in the attic, but she assumes it's trash. So she puts the toys out by the curb. And through a daring escape, the toys, uh, aided by Woody, escape and they make a harsh decision a rash decision, that they are going to leave Andy before Andy can leave them. They make the decision to get in the box uh, that's going to be donated towards Sunnyside Daycare. And everybody describes Sunnyside as a wonderful place. And uh, we're getting ready to see the dilemma that Woody, uh, he just can't accept that Andy really doesn't want them anymore. Watch this clip. Look, everyone, it's nice here, I admit. But we need to go home. We can have a whole new life here, Woody. A chance to make kids happy again. Why don't you stay? Yeah, Woody, stay with us. Come on, Woodston. We'll I, I can't. No, no, can make guys, really. Happy. No. I have a kid. You have a kid. Andy. And if he wants us at, at college or in the attic, well, then our job is to be there for him. I'm going home. And who wants to join me is welcome. Come on, Buzz. Buzz? Our mission with Andy is complete, Woody. What? And what's important now is we stay together. We, w- we wouldn't even be together if it weren't for Andy. Look under your boot, Buzz. You too, Jesse. Whose name is written there? Maybe Andy doesn't care about us anymore. Of course he does. He cares about all of you. He was putting you in the attic. I saw you. can't just turn your back on him now. Woody, wake up. It's over. Andy, it's all grown up. Okay, fine. Perfect. I can't believe how selfish you all are. These outdated toys are fighting for dignity and survival throughout this entire movie. And all of us know what it means to feel like what they feel like. We know what it means to feel outdated and unloved and unwanted because these are the feelings that these small, abandoned toys feel. And when Woody asked the question, you know, look into your boot, who do you belong to? I can't help but ask that same question. Maybe not look under your boot or look under your flip-flop or whatever you are wearing today, but who do you belong to? And how does the one you belong to feel about you? 
I want you to turn with me to a, a passage of Scripture uh, today we're going to be looking at because there's a fellow in the Bible who felt exactly like these toys did. He felt outdated. He felt unloved, unused. Uh, he felt um, alone, scared, heartbroken. And this guy that I'm going to be talking about today, his name is Moses. And his story is actually found in the book of Exodus, but I'm not going to turn you to have you turn to the book of Exodus. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 7. Because in Acts chapter 7, we're going to read a fellow by the name of Stephen who's giving a sermon about Moses. And he gives us some great insight into Moses' life. Um, you know, just like Toy Story, their, their lives started out really well. They started out with Andy being a little kid and playing with him, the evil Dr. Pork Chop, <laughs> and all of this stuff. It started out wonderful. And Moses' life started out wonderful as well, but soon it went to pot. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verse 19. Now here's something. This is really interesting. The, the life of Moses, he lived for 120 years. So he was 120 years old when he died. Now, the life of Moses can be broken up into three different sections. How many sections can his life be broken up in? Three different sections, and they're 40, uh, they're 40 um, he lived for 40-year segments. So three 40-year segments. So as we go through this, the rest of the morning, I want to show you the first 40-year segment of his life, the second 40-year segment of his life, and then the last 40-year segment of his life. And we're going to be looking at these lives of, of Moses, these sections in Moses' life, and in a lot of ways, it parallels amazingly uh, Toy Story 3 and what they're feeling like. All right, so here's what's going to happen. Give you some background. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham, he made a promise. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, great people. You can have a lot of kids, and I'm going to give you a land. All right? In fact, your, your kids, your children, your great, 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 all those grandchildren are going to be so numerous that you can, you, they're going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky or, or the sands on the seashore. And Abraham's like, great, that's awesome. Well, there's a problem. God led the Israelites, Abraham's descendants, into Egypt because there was a huge famine. And you can read about this in the end of Genesis. Huge famine. And there in Egypt, they lived for 400 years. For 400 years, it seems like God was silent. For 400 years, it seems like God didn't keep his promise. Because, yeah, they grew, but they didn't have their own land. In fact, not only did they grow in number and they didn't have their own land, and it took 400, how many years did it take? 400. Think about that. How, how old is the United States? 200 and something? Right, I can't do the math on the fly. Somebody who can, please do. All right? But you think about that. This is almost double how long our nation has been in existence. For 400 years, they're, they're living in a land that isn't their own, and then it gets from bad to worse because the king, the pharaoh of Egypt starts getting threatened by all of these numerous peoples, the Israelites, and he makes them slaves. And it's on their backs that he created all of these different towns and cities and, and, and pyramids. Those were made by the Israelites. So Acts chapter 7 verse 19 says this, This Pharaoh exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so that they would die. Now, this is the context in which Moses was born. At that time, Moses was born, he was a what? 
he was a beautiful child, right? A beautiful child in God's eyes. Uh, and, and by the way, what does that say about how God sees all of us? He sees us as beautiful children, all right? Beautiful children. His parents cared for him at home for three months when they had to abandon him. And we're going to stop right there. So they had this little baby boy. He was supposed to be abandoned because this is what the Pharaoh of Egypt said. But they broke the law and they said, we're not going to abandon our little baby boy. So they, they kept him quiet and hushed up for three months, which is amazing. How many of y'all have had like a small child? Trying to keep them quiet, dear Jesus, right? And they're thinking, every little small cry, somebody's going to come to the door and realize, hey, you've had a baby. But they're able to kind of keep him quiet in the news. They didn't put a stork out by their mailbox there in Egypt. You know, baby boy. Didn't work like that. They kept him quiet, kept him hush-hush until three months, until they abandoned him. I mean, now think about this. If you're Moses, how would that make you feel? abandoned by your own parents. In fact, this is what they did. They took a basket. may have been one of those longer burger baskets. I don't know. But they put some tar, some pitch into it. They placed the baby inside. They waterproofed this basket. They placed the baby inside. And then they, put, they set him afloat on the Nile. This huge, massive river there. And it's there that it go, the, the little baby Moses drifts up to where the Pharaoh lives. And Pharaoh's daughter sees and hears this baby. In fact, this is what I love about this. She, she takes this baby as her own, and the baby becomes adopted. In fact, the word Moses means to draw out. And how he got that name was because he was taken out of the river. So Moses, abandoned by his parents, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, All right, this is verse 21. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Now, even though he was abandoned, even though all this bad stuff is happening, God is working behind the scenes. Even though the Israelites felt that their God had abandoned them for how many years? 400 years. God is at work behind the scenes. Why? Because these were God's people. God chose them and adopted them just as Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses. Let me just stop right here and tell you how our Heavenly Father looks at you. This is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that says this. Even before God made the world, God loved us and, what's that next word? Chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to what? adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You know what gives God great pleasure? Choosing you, adopting you, adopting me. You think about it. I mean, my wife is adopted. She was, uh, she was born in Fayetteville and Fort Bragg, and her um, mom put her up for adoption. She doesn't know who her mom is. And for six weeks, she was in, this, in the system until somebody came and chose her. You know, I got three boys that I love to death, but I didn't choose them. You know what I'm talking about? I think they chose me. I love them, but when you have your own child, when that child pops out, it kind of looks like an alien. You're right, and you're like, oh, dear Lord, you know? But you have to love the child because the child is yours. Well, here's, it's not that way when you adopt. Because amazingly enough, it's when you adopt somebody, you choose them. 
God chose you. God wants to adopt you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not His child, but you need to know God wants to adopt you. God wants to choose you. I, I was told this, I don't know if this is true, but you know what, when you're, when you're born, you can like legal, legally separate from your parents eventually, um, or your parents can disown you, but when you get adopted, you can't disown an adopted child. You can't. It will always be your child. He or she will always be your child. Because that's what adoption, that's what happens when you choose someone. And that's exactly what happens with Toy Story. Here, they feel abandoned. Andy at one time chose them, and now it feels like Andy has unchosen them. All right? And so they go to this daycare called Sunnyside, and it's ruled by this mean toy named Lotso. Now, Lotso looks really great on the outside. He smells of strawberries. He's this fluffy teddy bear. All right? But he, Lotso has a past. Lotso has been abandoned. Lotso feels like, in a lot of ways, he has been replaced. And he says this, uh, in this when he's talking to the whole toys about Sunnyside, he says this, we don't need owners here at Sunnyside. We own ourselves. We are masters of our own fate. We control our destiny. Let's look at Lotso's backstory. Sunnyside is a place of ruin and despair, ruled by an evil bear who smells of strawberries. Lotso? The guy may seem plush and huggable on the outside, but inside, he's a monster. But how do you know that? Chuckles. He'll tell you. Yeah, I knew Lotso. He was a good toy. A friend. Me and him, we had the same kid. Daisy. I was there when Lotso got unwrapped. Daisy loved us all. But Lotso, Lotso was special. They did everything together. You never seen a kid in a toy more in love. One day we took a drive, hit a rest stop, had a little playtime. After lunch, Daisy fell asleep. So wouldn't give up. It took forever, but we finally made it back to Daisy's. But by then, it was too late. Something changed that day inside Lotso. Something snapped. She replaced us. Come on. No, she only replaced you. She replaced all of us, didn't she? She don't love you no more. Now, come on! And here, Lotso is deeply hurt because he feels like he's been replaced. He feels like 
He's been abandoned. You've heard this. You've heard, I've heard this so many times that hurt people tend to hurt other people. And that's exactly what Lotso does with the pain and his own hurt. Instead of helping other people because of his hurt, he chooses to hurt other people. And you know what? There are people just like Lotso in our lives, those voices that tell us we're meaningless. We're, we, they speak loudly to us saying that we're no good that we're worthless, we're despicable, that you're nobody unless you can prove otherwise. These voices can speak so loudly in our lives to us that they can drown out the voice of God that whispers in our ear every day, I love you, I chose you, I adopted you. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, I accepted you. They drown out those voices of God that we are loved and we are wanted with this, we, we're unlovable. That nobody would ever want us. Our big idea today is this. That the voices you surround yourself with will determine your self-worth. The voices you surround yourself with will determine your self-worth. Lotso began to believe the lie that he wasn't wanted. But he really was wanted, wasn't he? You and I can start to believe the lie that we are unlovable, that nobody wants us. But you need to know that is a lie straight from hell. Because God left heaven, sent his son Jesus Christ, because he saw something in you and in me that he wants us. He chose us. He wanted to adopt us. It's so important who you surround yourself with and who you listen to because those people you surround yourself with, they will determine your self-worth. They will. It's inevitable. Same thing happened in Moses' life. Moses, even though he was abandoned, didn't allow his hurt to fester and hurt others. Look at this in Acts 7, 22 and 23 says this. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, and I'm going to stop right there, because for 40 years, he lived as an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian, right? I mean, he was educated at the best schools. Think Yale, think Harvard. I mean, he is, I mean, he is Mr. Egypt. I mean, he has a Ph.D. in front of his name and behind his name and all up in his name. He is educated beyond belief. He was born. I mean, it's like he can't do any wrong. Not only is he Mr. Egypt, he's also, he still remembers, he knows that he's a Hebrew. But he's been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, which means he's in line. He's in line to be the next king of Egypt. I mean, it's amazing. So for the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses was taught and trained. He thought he was somebody. So the first 40 years, he's what? He's somebody. Let's say that. For the first 40 years, he's somebody. I mean, he thinks he is it. I mean, mean, he's beautiful. He can speak well. He has all these wonderful actions. He's smart. He's popular. Wherever Moses is at, there is where the in crowd is at. And for the the first 40 years of his life, he thinks he is somebody. So let's see what happens to Moses. All right? By the way, I just turned 40. All right? Some of you are like going, you're ancient. But when you put this in Moses' perspective, some of you, you may feel old right now. But I promise you, 
You're not. Because we're getting ready to see here in a minute when God started using Moses. Look at this, verse 23. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent them to rescue him, but they didn't. The next day, he visited them again, and he saw two of the, of the men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. What made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a what? Foreigner in the land of Midian. And what's those next three words? Forty years later. I mean, think about that. First 40 years of Moses' life, he thought he was what? Somebody. But now, in the next 40 years of Moses' life, he's living as a foreigner, foreigner in a strange land. And he feels abandoned and hurt. He is running from his past. From a painful action of which he took matters into his own hands. And things didn't go well. So for the next 40 years of Moses' life, he lives in a desert. In fact, for the next 40 years of Moses' life, he lives as a foreigner. For 40 years, he's trying to escape his past. And for the next 40 years of his life, he learns that he is a nobody. He's a nobody. In fact, he's a shepherd. What do shepherds do? Ten sheep, lead sheep. Only problem is, only pe- I mean, even the sheep didn't even want to follow Moses. Right? He stinks as a shepherd. So for the next 40 years, the only, pe- only people that he's leading are ones that are going, bah. right? I mean, this is not how it's supposed to be for Moses. I mean, he's Mr. Egypt. He's in the in crowd. He's in line to be the next Pharaoh. But yet, for 40 years... See, some of you think, I'm 30, I'm ancient. No, no, no. Think about being placed on a shelf for 40 years and being just basically realizing you're no one, you're nobody. That is exactly where Moses finds himself. Rejected, alone, in exile, all by himself. He is a nobody. Now, the first 40 years of Moses' life, he thought he was what? Somebody. The second 40 years of his life, he thought he's what? Nobody. The last 40 years of his life, he was so full of himself in the first 40 years, God had to empty him out so that he could be used. The last 40 years of his life, what's amazing is that Moses learns that with God, God can turn nobodies into somebody's. That's the last 40 years. God turning somebody who's nobody into a somebody. Let's look at this. Sometimes God takes a painful experience and he uses that painful experience to, in order to empty ourselves out, to get out of our head all of the things, that the weird things we think about ourselves so that he can speak into our life and tell us who we really are. Because that's exactly what happened to Moses. He used a painful experience, and that's exactly what happened in Toy Story 3. 
It took these toys leaving home and going to Sunnyside to remind them just how good they had it with Andy. In this next clip, they finally realized that Andy wanted them after all. That it was a mistake that they got thrown out with the trash by the curb. And now, Sunnyside, a place that they thought was going to be amazing, has now become a prison to them. Watch this next clip. What was that? Sounds like it came from the hall. I'll see what it was. What do you see? Anything? No, just a dark hallway and... <gasps> wait, wait! I see Andy! What? That's impossible. No, no, I really see him in his room. <gasps> My other eye! The one I left behind! This is so weird. He's back in love. Oh, here comes Buster. Out of the way! Get away! Okay, Andy's out in the hall. He's looking in the attic. Wait, there's not. Why is he so upset? Oh, no. Oh, this is terrible! He's looking for us. <gasps> Andy's looking for us. He's looking for us? Oh, Andy does want us. I knew it! I just knew it! I think he did mean to put us in the attic. Well, then Woody was telling the truth. Holy cow. And you didn't believe him. Hey, you didn't believe him first. Guys, we gotta... We gotta go home! Not so! Hey there. How y'all doing this fine evening? Thank goodness. Have you seen Boris? It's been a mistake. We have to go. Go? Why, you just got here. In the nick of time, too. We were running low on volunteers for the little ones. They just love new toys now, don't they? Love? We've been chewed, kicked, drooled on. Just look at my pocketbook. Hmm. Well, here's the thing, sweet potato. You ain't leaving Sunnyside. Sweet potato? Who do you think you're talking to? I have over 30 accessories, and I deserve more respect. Ah, that's better. <laughs> hey, no one takes my wife's mouth, except me. Give it back, you furry air freshener. Come on, guys. We're going home. Whoa there, Missy. You're not going anywhere. Listen up, folks. We got a way of doing things here at Sunnyside. If you start at the bottom, pay your dues... Life here can be a dream come true. But if you break our rules, step out of line, try to check out early, well, you're just hurting yourself. Woody! What did you do to him? You all get a good night's rest. Oh, Bullseye, I miss Woody, too. But he ain't ever coming back. You know, when she looks under her boot and she sees that Andy, she realizes that she is wanted, that she is loved, that Andy wasn't going to abandon her. Let me tell you what God thinks about you. Because so many of you, you've shown up here maybe for the first time, maybe for the eighth time, maybe one church is your home, but you feel unloved, you feel unwanted, you feel rejected. 
This is uh, Paul writing in Romans chapter 8. It says this, For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them. What did God do to you? He chose you. Now look at this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you a fact that God will never leave you. God will never abandon you. That if you are, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, even if you wanted to abandon Him, you couldn't. Because nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can change that fact. God had not left Moses. He may have felt that way in that middle 40-year section of his life when he thought he was nobody. But God had not left Moses. In fact, God had not abandoned the Israelites, even though 400 years had passed. Moses learned in the first 40 years of life, he thought he was somebody. The second 40 years of his life, he he was realizing that he was nobody. It was in that last 40-year segment of his life that God started using him at the age of 80 that he realized that with God, God can take nobodies and turn them into somebodies. That God had not abandoned him. This is in Acts chapter 7, verse 30, and it says this. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in a flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at this sight. And he went to take a closer look. And the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of, what is that next word? Well, I'm sorry, it's all skate morning. What's it say? My, my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and I've come down to rescue them. Now go for I'm sending you back to Egypt. God had not forgotten about his people. God, it says, not only had not forgotten, he was involved. He listened to their groanings. He heard them. He heard every groan, every cry. And some of you, you stay up late at night and you're crying and you're shedding tears and you like you feel like God doesn't care. He doesn't know. He doesn't listen. He doesn't know about your tears, but you need to know you are wrong. He does know. And if you have a relationship with him, he will not abandon you. Now, verse 35, Acts 7. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, who had made you a ruler and a judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. Now what's amazing about this is God wants to do something in your life similar in the life he had with Moses. Some of you, you've went through some stinky times. You've experienced some bad problems. When you look back over your life, you felt like you feel like you've been abandoned. 
You need to know this, that God, he didn't cause that abandonment, but he wants to use that abandonment so that you can help other people. Because that is exactly what Moses did. It was through all of these terrible, difficult times that Moses experienced that he went back and he became the ruler and the savior of a a, a people that felt abandoned because he knew what it felt like to be abandoned. The people you surround yourself with will determine your self-image. And finally, Moses starts listening to the still small voice of God saying, I made you. I created you. Not just to be just Mr. Egypt. Not just to be Mr. Popular. No, I created you for something so much bigger, so much better than that. I created you to lead millions of people from slavery to freedom. You need to know this. God is whispering that same thing in your ear as well. No, you may not be leading millions of people. But let me tell you, God has placed some people in your life that he is, he's, he's counting on you to lead. To be able to bring them from bondage to freedom. So that you can be able to tell them, hey, let me tell you, I know what it means like to run in the wrong direction. I know what it means like to feel like I'm going in the, and just trying to take the, all this, having a void and a no purpose in my life and trying to get my purpose from sex and, and drugs and, and, and a, a, a bigger status symbol or a bigger car or whatever. God is saying to you and to me, I want you to tell your story. I want you to share who you are. Now, let's go back to the movie. Last clip. Man, this is an amazing clip. The toys aided by Woody make a daring escape from Sunnyside, almost. They get to the end and Lotso's there and they get thrown into a garbage truck. Their greatest fears have come true. And the garbage truck loads them to this big sanitation dump. And they get on this conveyor belt where you have all these spinning blades and stuff, chomping all this stuff up. And they escape all of the blades. And at the end, they're thinking, okay, we see the light. Everything's going to be okay. But the light they see at the end of the tunnel isn't daylight. But it's a furnace that's raging. Take a look.
You know, uh, when those toys, when they realize that they are getting ready to die, what do they do? I mean, how do you face your death? They chose to face it by surrounding themselves with the people who love them the most, by holding their hands. And uh, I can't watch that now without crying. Um, you know, um, something similar happened back in 1986. Um, in January the 28th, 1986, y'all are going to remember this. In fact, we have a video of this, the Space Shuttle Challenger. Any of y'all were alive when that happened? Or am I the only old person in here? All right, cool. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and run that video. We all remember what the Space Shuttle, space shuttle Challenger, um, what happened here. Um, it left Cape Canaveral with six astronauts and one teacher by the name of Krista McCullough. It was a cold morning, and ice had formed on the launch pad. After launching the shuttle... Um, because of the ice, some of the O-rings on the solid rocket boosters started freezing up. And uh, 73 seconds into flight, when they throttled up, uh, there was a huge explosion. In fact, we're going to see it right here. And when this explosion happened, the solid rocket boosters, you can see them separating, and they're still burning. I remember... Watching this, um, this uh, Krista McCullough, who was the teacher, uh, she was um, uh, from the Northeast. And it was always an assumption that once the explosion happened with the Space Shuttle Challenger, that the astronauts were immediately incinerated, destroyed. Um, But after a further investigation, it was discovered that the the Challenger crew actually survived the explosion. The cockpit they were in um, were, uh, was made to, to survive explosions such as that. And for the next two minutes and 45 seconds, as the cockpit intact is falling towards the ocean, they are talking to one another. In fact, I, I even went back this week, I mean, and I was reading all of this you know, this footage and how switches had been manned and all of this stuff and how they've been switched off. In, in the next two minutes and 45 seconds, they're falling to the ground with no parachute. And as soon as, uh, right before they hit the water at 207 miles per hour, one astronaut said to another astronaut in the voice recordings, the last thing said before they hit the water was an astronaut asking another one, give me your hand. Give me your hand. You know, when we all go through difficult times in life, whether you're a toy or whether you're a person, the people you choose to surround yourself with are going to be the people that give your life meaning, that will help how you view yourself and how where that fleshes itself out for me just as those toys in that little small group as they're holding hands, where that works itself out for my life is in community group. It's in community group where here at One Church where I just kind of am able to be myself. I don't have to wear the pastor hat. I can just be Chris. Sometimes I, I'm, I help people. Sometimes I disappoint people. But through it all, there are people around me 
who says the same things that that astronaut said, just give me your hand. I don't know how this is going to work out, but give me your hand. I don't know how your marriage is going to end, but give me your hand. I don't know how your career is going to turn out. I don't know what the doctor is going to come back with a prognosis. But please take my hand. You don't have to walk through this alone. You're not alone. Moses was the exact same way. We see through the last 40 years of his life, he surrounded himself with people who built into him. People, even when he was tired, was able to literally hold up his arms and help him out. People like Joshua and Aaron and Miriam, his sister, and Jethro and all these other people as you read through the story of Moses. He surrounded himself with people who encouraged him, who literally shaped his future. And I'm challenging you this morning to do the same. Are you going to continue to live your life on a monorail, never intersecting anybody else's life? Or are you going to choose, you know what? I'm going to stop living life alone. Because I know one time, soon, something's going to happen and I'm going to need somebody. So I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you. Our next group link is in August. And you're thinking, well, you know, that's, that's forever away. It's a month away. It's a month. It's five weeks away. Will you stop living your life on a one-way track And will you reach out your arms and say, take my hand. I need you. And I want to do life with you. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, God, that we can look at a story like this and we can realize that we will never be abandoned by our Heavenly Father. That we will never be unused garbage, just thrown away. That's never going to happen to us. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you will always love us. You will always choose to accept us. And Lord, the reason why you love us and you choose to accept us, it's not because there's anything great with us, but because there's something great with your son, Jesus. Lord, it's when we have a relationship with him that we are made right with you, God. And Lord, I pray, I God, I pray that there are people here today that will begin that relationship. Lord, that they would be able to come to you and realize that they can't make it on their own. And Lord, that they would be able to take your hand, your nail-scarred hand, and you would be able to usher them into eternity and realize that they are loved. They are chosen. They are adopted. Of course, in Jesus' name that we pray.